But the truth is, it doesn't matter what the letter says. We're never going to please 100% of people with the way we write that. And so stop focusing on the semantics of the letter. It doesn't matter what it says. It says, no, thank you. What can you do with that? That's closure. That's the closure people are asking for. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This is where we lift the curtain on the hiring process by talking to recruiters and hiring managers to help you better understand how hiring decisions get made. Today, I'm talking to Lori Golden. Lori is a powerful voice on LinkedIn and has built a bit of a brand of being a truth sayer and debunker of myths. And she does it with a very direct style, which honestly is very welcomed given the amount of misinformation there is out there. Lori's been recruiting for almost 25 years has really focused on tech companies that are series D and below and has built up recruiting practices from the ground up. She gives a ton of really good advice in this episode. Some of it's a little bit hard to hear. We dig deep into the idea of feedback and really if there any value in feedback in the job search process. And then we also talk about things like why companies can't take chances on people and the risk in hiring. Lori even shares some of the challenges of her job search that she's going through right now. So it was a really great episode. I think we covered some really great topics and Lori shared what I've now coined as golden nuggets. So I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hey everyone, thanks for joining for another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week, we are with Lori Golden, who I've gotten the pleasure of getting to know on LinkedIn. Uh, we've had some exchanges in the comments and eventually DM'd, and Lori just drops knowledge bombs all over the place on LinkedIn. So I'm excited to have you on the show, Lori. How about you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Dave. I'm so excited to be here with you as well. Like Dave said, I'm Lori. I've been in the field of talent acquisition and recruiting for over 24 years, about 10 years on the agency side. So I have that perspective as well as over 14 years of progressive TA in the weeds, as well as leadership setting up functions. Usually you'll find me in some kind of a startup earlier stage through about series Deary. Usually when the suits come in to button things up, that's when I'm Mary Poppinsing my way out to the next thing, because that's who I am. I'm a startup renegade. I love building new functions. Cool. So many good things we can talk about. Well, we identified one to kick off with and then we'll we'll go from there. But the whole point of this show is hiring behind the scenes, like what's going on on the company side, what's going on the recruiter side and something we hear from candidates a lot and the sort of faux advocates in a way, or at least the instigators is everyone deserves feedback. If you took the time to interview a person you should take the time to give them feedback. And of course, as candidates, feedback would be amazing, at least, you know, some sense of closure. But there's just a lot of nuance from like very practical reasons why it's tough to emotional reasons to why it's tough and kind of everything in between. But would love to dig into this topic with you. I love this topic. It's one of my favorites. I'm always on LinkedIn commenting and posting about this because I have some pretty strong opinions on it. Of course, we've seen recruiters talk about the bandwidth issue, right? We're dealing with 10x the applicants and half the staff, right? So in some cases, 500, 700, up to 1,000 applicants per role. Obviously, we don't interview that many folks, but we interview a lot of people to get to our candidate slates. So the concept of 
giving feedback. I mean, we've all addressed this from a bandwidth issue, right? There's volume. It's, it would take a really long time to provide valuable, constructive feedback that can be usable. But I don't even want to like spend too much time talking about the obvious bandwidth issues with doing that for many, many applicants, many, many candidates and people who interview. What I really want to talk about is why this feedback is deemed so critically important or even actually usable. I want to talk about the way that we interview candidates for jobs inside companies. I want you to also know I'm framing this. I'm also currently a job seeker. So I'm in the weeds, even though I've been in my last full-time role was a VP level talent role, I am in the weeds recruiting right now, actually scanning resumes every day. I'm also actively applying for roles and dealing with that whole side of things. So my perspective right now is unique and it's very all-sided. Like I get this from all sides and the frustrations of job seekers. But still, the way that we interview for a role is through the lens of exactly what we're looking for for that role. We are not mock interviewing you with the intent of being able to turn around a report of feedback that you can really use that's not biased, that it's like completely objective because the purpose of it was to give you feedback. We're interviewing you to see if you check boxes, to see if you have certain competencies, certain skill sets for a specific role. Now, here's where the nuances really matter. I mean, like, really hear this. Two companies could be hiring the exact same role and have entirely different lenses that they're interviewing through. So, for example... One team may be really great technically, but they don't have anyone who's fantastic around communicating, relationship building, whatever the case may be. So they're over-indexing in the interview for that particular skill set, not just because the role requires it, but that specific team. So when I tell you we're not just interviewing for a set of skills, we're interviewing for the right combination of skills that fits into the already existing team, considering all of their strengths and weaknesses and deficiencies and capacities. So how I'm interviewing you and looking at how you're going to fit into this team, whether you meet what we're indexing for, all of these things. But if I gave you that feedback at the end of the interview, and say you wanted to like change the attributes about how you're coming across for the next role. It's the same role, but it's in a different company, in a different team with different strengths and weaknesses. You might change the thing that I gave you feedback about. Hey, you weren't relationship enough. You didn't ask questions. You didn't try to build a rapport. So you over-index on that in the next interview. And guess what? That company was indexing for more technical skills. So you've completely now shot yourself in the foot, taking one set of feedback, applying it to a different interview, and none of it really makes any sense. So what we're saying is, I get it. You want feedback because, hey, maybe you're not a great interviewer and you should know that so that you can fix it. And I can talk about ways that you can get that feedback that actually is usable and where you can go for that. But 
assuming that you're going to get that post-interview is wrong. I mean, like, it's a flawed assumption. Let's put it into two buckets, right? They generally want to learn, how could I do better? But also a sense of closure. Even if it's, give me a reason. It's not even feedback. I'll do that to people sometimes. They're like, they're pretty deep in the process. And they'll be like, what could I have done? It's important to me to give them a sense of closure. You couldn't have done anything different. It was another candidate that just had more specific experiences. You were great. You were super talented. If we were opening up for this other position that was more aligned with like your experiences, because you were both equally technically capable, I would have hired you. I do that to give the person closure. I will say that's not always 100% true. It's definitely part of it, but there's definitely some things where like, yeah, this person also edged them out in this way. And like that part, I don't want to share. It's like giving feedback to a coworker or a colleague or giving feedback's uncomfortable. A lot of times there's not much in it for you, frankly, right? It could come back in your face. I remember there was this really kind recruiter that gave someone feedback on LinkedIn. She could have used slightly different words. None of them in my mind. Again, I wasn't the person receiving the feedback and I wasn't affected in the same way. But this person like screenshotted it, posted it on LinkedIn, didn't take their name out. If I'm a recruiter, I'm, even if there's a 0.1% chance of that happening to me, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Totally. And you know what? I'm one of those people who I am completely immune to being reamed. I'm fine with that. I've seen it. I've heard it. We can even parlay this into like the autogen rejection email. Mm -hmm. People on one hand are like, ah, we're tired of getting ghosted. And then on the other hand, they're like, ah, we don't like the autogen rejection email. And I'm like, well, ah, what are we supposed to do in the middle of that? <laughs> but the truth is, it doesn't matter what the letter says. We're never going to please 100% of people with the way we write that. And so stop focusing on the semantics of the letter. It doesn't matter what it says. It says, no, thank you. What can you do with that? That's closure. That's the closure people are asking for. But then they start mincing words and it should be written this way. And it should go through a marketing team and a content producer. And I'm like, Really? Because is that what it's about or is it about rejection sucks? I've oscillated on this back and forth. In the Teal Tools, we created Job Tracker. And one of the features when you close out a job is you switch it to rejected. And we got feedback from users that said, hey, moving a job to rejected doesn't feel great. It's like reinforcing that we got rejected. We'd prefer other language. And I'll be honest, at first I was like, whatever, it's just a word. But like the more I thought about it, I said, wait a second, that's a wrong position on my part, right? Especially with our mission, which is to empower people. Every time we put a word on the paper, on the screen, it should empower a person. I think more so what it highlights is that hiring as much as we wanna make it robotic, I almost like wish there were these ATSs that picked people. It's very human. It's highly emotional. And when a recruiter is ghosting or doesn't give feedback, maybe it's because that's really uncomfortable for them. Like, sure, the most altruistic and thing for the universe would be to give everyone feedback. But that's really hard, right? Because maybe it wasn't even your choice. The hiring manager said no. And you're like, wow, I really advocated for this person. I thought they were amazing. But the hiring manager said no. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. So it's just like the humanness of it, I feel, gets lost. We don't normally have like a concrete reason. Like you said, it's usually someone was a little better. Quite honestly, that's what a lot of these autogen rejection emails say. Like somebody was, we just went with somebody a little better and people aren't liking that, that, that response. And I'm not sure how to make it feel better. I think maybe the ability to take rejection is a more important 
skill that we don't really talk about anymore. We have some narratives that are very like soft and sensitive these days that don't necessarily align from the generation I come from and the world I was brought up in, where the earlier you learn how to fail or take rejection or whatever, it doesn't matter the word you put on it. It's a sense of knowing that if that didn't work out, it just wasn't meant to work out and like moving on to the next thing. I hear you and I'm all about stoicism and obstacle is the way and those sort of things. But <laughs> again, it's human, right? And maybe they do, they are good and the thick skin like is able to endure the first 20, the first 30. And then by the 50th, you're like, that's it. It's over. It's paper thin now. So I get it. And I hear you. Let me put the sad seeker back hat back on for a second here. And let me frame something for you guys. I have 24 years of experience. I have experience in really successful companies doing really cool 20x hyperscales. I've been many exited. Like I've been very successful. I've built awesome teams and have great connections and network. I've probably applied for over 200, 300 jobs just like everybody else. I was laid off from my VP level role with an awesome company in the blockchain space. It was actually a nonprofit. It was like one of my dream jobs. I was very altruistic, which was awesome, having come out of a zillion VC-backed, you know, <laughs> very, very money-driven organizations. But I was laid off in April. I am lucky enough to be in a contract with a cool AI company right now, but it'll end, right? And so I've applied for a lot of jobs. I've gotten no responses. <laughs> None. Yes, my world has been a bit shattered. I told you I come from startups. I work in startups. Well, we all know VC funding is fractional what it was. It's a little dry these days. Yeah, it's rough. There are a lot of me's and very few roles for the levels that we are. That's something I think we can talk about. Closure is one thing. Yes. We'll put that one aside for a second. Yeah. That, that's like more emotional. But if you do want to get better, I do think the absence of feedback doesn't prevent you from getting better. I think there are signals that you can take that are sort of implied. If you're just not getting interviews at all, that's a form of feedback, right? There's something either you're applying to jobs you're not qualified for, there's a mismatch between the materials you're submitting and the jobs you're applying to. There could be a multitude of symptoms. Sure. That is feedback. What about the hard pill to swallow for somebody who's been matching resumes to jobs for 24 years? You get that, right? I kind of think I'm pretty targeted too, right? It might be a market mismatch, right? There are more recruiters than there are jobs. So again, it's like there is a mismatch, not necessarily on the two documents, but the product market fit is not. Supply demand is definitely out of balance. I think that's the answer that a lot of people aren't really understanding. We're in a different kind of market. And also a lot of the things people want to demand in a market where the supply and demand is out of balance, not in their favor it's like now is not the time for this, right? A year and a half ago, when we were all very high demand and they couldn't, find, that was when putting our foot down and saying, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not going to apply through a Workday app and set up another login and pat or whatever, whatever the boundaries are, right? Now is time to relax some of them a little, I think, too. We live in a world that is commercial. We're not there yet, <laughs> depending on philosophical beliefs. But today we need currency to buy things like food and pay for rent. A hundred percent. We still have to take heed to the supply and demand and the balance and the challenges of those. 
I mean, it's very real. I understand it. It's why I'm not beating myself up for not getting the response. It's time to adapt to a new reality. Here's another thing that's happening in real time, which I know you know. Companies are, are at the same time of all these other things converging. They're also learning how to do twice as much with half as many people by leveraging AI. Mm-hmm. It's happening in real time. I'm currently working with a customer experience company, the company that builds the chat bots, the voice bots, the email bots, right? The one that's going to put hundreds of thousands of customer service reps out of work permanently. What concerns me is when I don't hear these conversations happening on a wide scale. I'm the one who's been watching for the last 20 years, like all this money invested in digital transformation. And I've always said, in any room with any person, especially the people with the money, with the power, with the decision making, great. What are we doing about the human transformation that is going to be required to adapt to this new world that we're building? And nothing. And still the narrative, the marketing narrative around AI is we're creating this not to put people out of work, but to free them up from doing repetitive, redundant, boring things so everyone could be a creative contributor. Really? How are we shifting people who've been customer service reps for the last 10 years, and now all of a sudden they get to be creative value adds in the... How? Through what vehicle? For sure. I'm usually not one to plug Teal, but that's why we're building Teal. Because it's not... and, And I don't mean this in an adversarial way. It's not HR's job to do that. Right. I mean, HR serves the company. And again, HR is not the villain in, in this movie and the company's not the villain either. I really think about it as if all of us thought our, of ourselves as freestanding like business entities, we would think about it like, what is our marketability? What is our product market fit? And we need to adapt to a market. And what I think it is happening is the market is changing faster than it ever has in any of our lifetimes. And so this idea of like, I go to school for four years, maybe get a master's degree, and that thing's going to carry me through for 40 years. Like those days are gone. It's just changing so fast that it's going from this mental Gantt chart to really these like mental swim lanes. You need to be learning and re-educating and finding your place in the market and diversifying. Do you have a side hustle? Do you have passive income streams? This like world of consumption learn one time and monetize that for the rest of my life and like progressively get my cost of living raises. It's just, it's too competitive. You've got globalization, you've got the efficiency of new tools. Yeah, it's a far more competitive labor market than it's ever been. Totally. I love what you said about the degree too, because like, where is education? Like, where are they in this conversation? What have they done to reformat what a degree program even is it? To me, it's not like you go to school for four years, you get this fixed degree. That made sense when information was fixed for long periods of time, but at the rate of change. And like you said, it's like Moore's Law. We're, everything is changing much faster than the human capacity to change with it. And it, it's been written about, it's been documented, it's been scientifically proven. And most people can't keep up with what's happening. But I, I look at education and like, why haven't they reinvented, reimagined what a degree program could be? Why couldn't a degree be something that's a living, ongoing learning? Why can't what I pay for a degree come with every year getting the new downloaded versions of things or every quarter 
being exposed to relevant, changing information. Education has to prove that they can adapt, or at least the government, the education system, nothing is here with us in the vortex of the change. So as much as I love those topics, I'm going to sort of get us back to hiring because I could easily go. (laughs) So maybe that's for, for another show. So some of these things like education, use that as a segue back into what we were talking about. That is a binary check or like a Boolean toggle on a resume. You apply to a job and it says you need to have this degree and you don't have it. Let's put that aside. Whether, But you don't need feedback for those things. The first is like some level of first feedback. People dilute themselves a little bit when they're like, I'm qualified. And what I tell people, I brought this up with Patrick Payne in that episode around like the company can only assume you're as qualified as the materials you submit. And so it's like, oh, I know SharePoint. And this company, I said they need to SharePoint, but I didn't put it because like whatever, I said I know how to do intranets. They're not gonna assume that on your behalf, right? You need to prove you're qualified. And first and foremost is, Look at the materials you submitted with that same level of scrutiny, even before you ask for feedback, because a lot of times you should be able to identify it. I totally look self-feedback, like self-critique, introspection. Yes, yes, and yes to all of that. I mean, we are our own first judge, right? If we cannot look at what we are projecting into the world, whether through our words, our resume, our LinkedIn profile, our posts on LinkedIn. That's another wild one. I'm like, how can you be looking for work and say some of the things you're saying? Now, that's coming from me, who's (laughs) extremely controversial on LinkedIn. Like, I know for sure that I will not attract certain types of companies, and I'm okay with that. Not everybody is in the position. That's a privilege that I acknowledge and appreciate. Critique your own resume. I do think that that's also something that's often lost and I'd say like almost impossible to communicate is that it really is a series of many, 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 many micro decisions. Hiring managers will go look at a person's LinkedIn and they might not even communicate it back to the company and say, hey, I looked at their LinkedIn because they're worried that they're going to be called out for bias and all those things that are fair and inaccurate. I don't think it's the right person, but you don't know. Maybe they Googled them. Maybe they went to their social media. Maybe they, someone wants to talk about it on another episode is like back channeling and how wrong it is to back channel. But you know what? We can't control the world. I think a lot of the job search advice out there is espousing the vision of a world that we would like to see. What should be? Exactly. What should be. But let's like talk about the realities. Like that's a different game. That's a hypothetical, realistic, utopian game. The real game is people look at this stuff because there's a lot on the line for making a bad hire. And so it could be any of those things. One thing that is maybe one of the more misunderstood things I see on LinkedIn, and I know it's misunderstood based on the comments around it, how hiring managers even see any of this, how they see resumes, how they see people's backgrounds. There's a real misunderstanding around risk. Hiring decisions are risky, right? And you have to be able to really make an analysis as a good hiring leader, risk versus reward, right? And people are being interviewed comparatively. They're not being just interviewed by in a vacuum. It's like against four other people as well, right? And that's all factored in. So when a hiring manager is making their final hiring decision, they're looking at all of that. They're analyzing risk. So the overqualified thing comes up a lot. I for all intents and purposes, am overqualified, have been at the VP level. I've been doing this for over 24 years. I command a high paycheck. 
and I'm in the weeds doing IC work right now in a role I'm overqualified for. But I sold it in such a way that, yes, I raised the concern. I mm-hmm. presented myself as overqualified, and here's why that's a good thing for you. You not only are going to get me in the weeds doing the work that needs to be done, but I also can do it with a strategic lens and give you feedback on various different parts of your process. So boom, you're getting free consulting while getting the job done. So like, it's also how you present yourself and the risk associated. If you think you might be overqualified and you don't want to be assumed out, like I'm not going to stay or what you want the opportunity to share what your story is and why you want to step back, if that's legit, you have to be proactive about presenting yourself that way. Like if you don't normally do cover letters and I'm one of those recruiters who says we don't like cover letters and we don't care about cover letters that much. Sorry, it's just what it is. Like I get that it's part of the tools and all the things. It's fine. A lot of us don't care as much, but also because I have a lot of years of experience and I can see exactly what I need in your background, right? I don't need all the extra. But if there's a story and you know there's going to be an object, there's likely to be an objection, address it address it before the objection. That's a really easy thing to do is to say what it is that you're looking for and why. You took the word out of my mouth. In sales, it's objections. You address the objections as part of being taught sales. And if you can preempt them, you come off as more confident because you're aware. That self-awareness is really key. Another way to maybe think about feedback, I do want to, you posted something on LinkedIn the other day around like, taking a chance on me, which I want to talk. I think that's another hot topic for you, which I have a lot of thoughts on. But you can, in a way, try to go out on a discovery journey for objections, right? You could go to friends and say, why wouldn't you hire me? And so in your case, they're going to say, look, you're too senior. And like, why? Why does that concern you? Well, look, I've hired senior people before. And they say they're willing to roll up their sleeves, do the work. Six months in, they're like, okay, cool. I used to make 2X. Like, now when am I going to get to that? I talked about it with you. We talked about it in the recruiting process that you are an IC, you're on an IC track. We hired you. You told us it was all the perks. And now look, here we are. And a lot of people have been burned by those situations. I'm not doing it again. And there may be that person who genuinely is willing to do the IC work and take a huge comp hit. I can't believe it because it happened to me in the past. It's a real risk. No matter what the person says, there's no guarantee. I know 100% that there are people that will take the lower job just to make ends meet. And the moment something right-sized comes up, they're going to leave. I probably would be one of them. How's that for transparency? I literally took 100K a year cut. That's like not your average pay cut, right? But I was really well paid and I can still pay my bills, so I'm okay. That's not everybody's scenario, right? But the point is that it's a real risk and people need to be more understanding around hiring managers, how they make their decisions, what risk analysis is, what risk mitigation is and looks like around hiring. It's expensive to hire somebody, get them trained up, onboarded, knowledgeable about the company, into the team, all the people who invest their time to help welcome and onboard this person, and then they leave. In this day and age, people are averaging And I know a lot of it is the layoffs. Like, I'm not saying due to no fault of your own. Even without the layoffs, Dave, it's still this mindset of act your wage and on to the next thing and make more money. And it's not, there is no more longevity, loyalty, and commitment 
So why do we expect it from either side? Stop on both sides expecting this, right? To be honest with you, as a hiring leader, I would have no problem hiring the really overqualified person, and I'd probably get more out of them in the six months they stay than hiring somebody that has a fraction of their experience and stays two years. So I can see that. Also, it depends on you, your team, how you can leverage that person. Again, every scenario is unique and specific, like a thumbprint to that scenario. You never, ever are you going for a job and it's like a big generalization. It's always you're interviewing against other specific people for a very specific role with a very specific team that already has people in it and a very specific leader and their view of the world, all of it perception-based, right? I mean, we all see the world very differently. Then when we get back to the conversation of the whole job market's broken, the whole system is broken, and I'm like, the, first of all, there is no system. <laughs> yeah. You know what's broken, Dave? The understanding. That's broken. And that's why I'm here. That's why I want to talk. I don't post to get content. I don't schedule my posts. I've never done that before. Right now in this fiery vortex of dumpster fire or whatever, I am posting regularly every day all the time because I have actually things to say. What you won't hear from me is posts when I have nothing to say just because I have to post that day. That's why I say I'm not a content creator. If I were a content creator, I'd have posting strategies and schedules and growth strategies, and I don't. What I have is a human desire to be honest, authentic, and transparent in a market where there's a lot of flipping confusion. So let's get another unvarnished Lori take here. You might, you might have to brand it like Golden Nuggets or something. I feel like your name is good. <laughs> That's a good one. To not do that. That's your LinkedIn hashtag for your toe tip into creatorness. I'm pretty sure you posted this on LinkedIn the other day about like people like, why don't you take a chance on me? Or, you know, all these like silly, I'm trying to keep my language PC. 99% of jobs can be trained, just not like neurosurgeons. So give the company's perspective on why that's not true and is not fair to job seekers to hear things like that. It isn't because, right, it's blowing smoke. Let's get real career coaches. Truth, the truth of the matter is most companies are not set up to even hire, to train even 10 or 20% of their total hires into the role. Some very large companies, very well-structured companies have good training at entry points, right? Like early career. And they have programming around that that actually is designed to provide mentorship and set people up for success. And those are good. And those are outliers. The reality is most roles are hit the ground running roles. I like the idea that we should be able to train more people. But again, in this actor wage, I'm going to be gone in six months for more money anyway. Who is going to invest in training you all the way up when I can have somebody slot in with all the right experience? And especially in this market, I don't understand perpetuating this message about hiring people who aren't a clear fit for the role and then training them in a market where there's already so many very qualified candidates and overqualified ones too, right? That could even give more than just the job itself. It's hard to understand why that even makes any sense. But the truth, truth is, if companies did that, you'd all fail. Most people would fail. 
the few people who are the type of people who are going to learn, grow, in spite of anyone or anything around them. That's just who they are. I'm going to constantly be learning, growing, shape-shifting, acquiring these skills just because it's how I'm built. Those are the people who are going to make it in those scenarios, but they're going to make it anyway. It's like most people will be set up to fail in a scenario where they're walking in without the experience to just slot into the job and expecting that there are people in the company who will get them up to speed. Yeah, the question I ask people in those scenarios is, why would I hire you over someone else with the skills already? Because I'll have an amazing character as if those people automatically don't. The people who have skills must be monsters. Or like the hire for attitude meme. It's attitudes like table stakes. We will hire for attitude. After we validate that you have the skill, don't you get it? That would be one of those feedbacks I don't want to give. The person we went with had a better attitude than you. But it's true. We have a good case study in Leah Dillon, who's on our team. She was a recruiter. Yeah. But had an interest in pivoting into social media. Yeah. Right. And she's grown her personal account to 200,000 plus followers, has done research on it. Has, and she sort of packaged a very compelling pitch to us why her domain expertise, given what we do at Teal, and then what she's done with her personal account made her unique and compelling to Teal over someone who was a social media manager sort of by trade. Right. And like, that was compelling. But she did the work. It wasn't like, hmm. I wonder if there's a recruiter out there that we could pivot into social media. She was clear on her unique value proposition. And if no one takes anything else away from this today, please take that. The people who get hired above everyone else are the people who are super crystal clear on their unique value proposition. And not only are they clear about it, they can articulate it on paper as well as in person. Period. That is the secret formula that's not a secret. I would say that's kind of like universal feedback, honestly. The people who I would give feedback to post-interview, I sent this to someone. So they sent their resume in. I think I rejected them. And this was for, I forget, they were applying. The heading on their resume was like project manager and marketer. And they had like a great resume. It looked nice. I think they wrote me on LinkedIn. And I just wrote them back. And I said, look, you need to present as one. I could hire someone who just really wants to be the one, is super passionate about being the one, listens to podcasts about the one. I don't want someone who's like 50-50. And then you can't tell me I'm 100% both. That's just not real. 100%, that's the cap. Right. Why, as a company who is like riding on this person, who is betting a lot of things on this person, gonna hire, make this like diluted hire when we could, because it's a market, hire someone who just wants to be really good at that one thing. Right. And that was my feedback. And I sent it and I think she appreciated it. But like I could give that feedback 99% of the time. A hundred percent. I absolutely. I mean, it's really important to understand like what's attractive about your experience. It's counterintuitive. Get as niche as possible, actually. You think like the more I know, the more I fit into every role and it's the exact opposite. And I say the same thing to hiring managers. It's funny because people are like, it should be very broad job description. Everybody, wait, it should be so inclusive that everybody fits. How am I supposed to narrow down 10,000 applicants that all could possibly fit? How would I even know who to call on that? I want specificity. I want as narrow as we can make things in the job and the candidate when you realize you have a great fit. It's one of these kind of counterintuitive universal truths. 
oh, the broader, the better, but it's actually not. Pat Flynn, who's this like podcaster, he actually used to be an architect. The riches are in the niches. And it's true for everything. It's true for marketing, right? They talk about your personas and your ICPs. It's true for when you're job searching. It's true for when you're posting a job. Specificity is actually your friend. You think you're limiting it. You think you're making it harder. You're not. You're like, you're increasing your chances of a match and the efficacy of your effort goes up way, like big time. And it'll be obvious, right? You'll be an obvious fit when you fight for that niche role because the role will be as niche as you are. It's why we're in the camp of like the tailor your resume. And I know people get really hung up on the language of that. I'm not talking about like spending 10 hours per resume, spending five minutes just like, hey, does this, I have this kind of line, like show the 10% of you that's 100% relevant to them. Because I talk about myself. I'm like textbook, that book range. I know how to video edit. I know how to 3D model. I went to architecture school. I know how to 3D print. Like I know how to do all sorts of stuff. But if I was applying to be whatever, if I needed to go be a head of growth at some enterprise software company, I wouldn't include any of that on my resume. It's just going to dilute my message, actually. They're going to be like, wow, this guy's all over the place. But again, it's like people are like, oh, I just need to show all the layers to me. It's really counterintuitive, but you need to hide those. You do need to show the layers, but not at the resume stage. Once you are on the phone with the person who's, it's their decision to make, that's when you're like, look, here's where I'm an expert on this niche job. This is what I bring to adding the value you, hiring manager, are seeking to create. And I just so also happen to bring this, 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 and this. But you got to connect it. You have to connect it, but it's like full without having to need so I am very self-sufficient. I don't require a lot of external resources and contractors because I also have graphic design elements, this element and that element. If you connect it to, I'm going to cost you less, I'm going to require less resources, right? I have all everything I need to be great at the main role. And I can do several of these other things, again, that point to cost savings or efficiency, or whatever that looks like. I'm going to get these things done faster because I don't have to wait for it to get turned around from a third-party contractor. Like, there are a lot of ways to spin additional skills. My own example is I'm also a job hopper, I guess, if you will. But it's I'm a job hopper with a clear reason I fit in companies at this stage. They weren't going to be in that stage for very long. And when I leave, they're a totally different company than the one I walked into. I help that happen, but I don't stay for the B2. I create that and then I go. Because I'm so clear in how and where I add value and it's very narrow, it's more compelling when I have somebody who needs somebody in that narrow space. Yeah, I really wish we were able to do that more. I mean, it goes back to your sort of what's broken is the understanding. I think job search is one of these few instances in life where both parties gaslight themselves that they go into it thinking it's going to last forever, like a marriage, but it's not. Empirically, it is not. Reed Hoffman and Ben Casanocha wrote this great book called The, the Alliance, which is about this notion of tours of duty. We know it's going to end. And at the end of the tour of duty, I may leave the company, I may look for another position, but we're not going to go into this pretending like it's going to indefinitely go on forever. Because look, we change sucks and we'd both love for that to happen. But we know that that's just not real. Let's just go into it knowing like this is a transaction. It's commercial. You'll keep us as long as we can grow there and we'll stay as long as we can feel like can keep growing. But in, when that happens, we're both out of here. I think they even put their minds at ease when I'm like, I know when it's time for me to go. You're not going to have to root me. And because I'm going to be real. A lot of leaders 
people who joined earlier stage companies and scale them, we get attached like this is my baby. I've grown this thing. And then it gets really emotional and painful when it's time for you to go because you no longer fit that company. Because again, it evolves fast, right? I already know when it's time to go. We'll be like, I'll help feel my replacement and it'll be beautiful. It's least amount of friction, right? Saying these things, it's hard. It's hard to have that level of self-awareness, that level of confidence, but it is like a major unlock. That's what I want to help people with, Dave. That's what I'm working on figuring out. I feel very strongly, and I know we're coming up on end here. I feel very strongly that we're in a really interesting crossroads here. And people are going to have to adapt. This is like prime who moved my cheese. If you haven't read who moved my cheese, I've not seen a better time in my life to illustrate that book as right now. The cheese is no longer where we thought it was. The cheese moved. Strong cosine. 20 pages with about five words per page. Quick read. Seriously, but it's so powerful because it's like it's on us. The moment the cheese isn't where it's to find more cheese. It's not on us to sit there and cry and that the cheese is gone. And that is what I'm seeing on LinkedIn. A bunch of people are just, the cheese is gone. And who can we blame? It's the recruiters. They stole the cheese. No, it's the companies. Greedy. They're eating all the cheese. Like, this is what I'm watching every single day. And all I want to do is help people adapt reinvent themselves and shape shift for the future of work. It is time. AI is coming. It's happening so much faster than we realize. That's why it feels super weird right now, right? Because we're in this flux. And I want to help people find clarity and peace because fear is not going to help. It is not going to help. The fear that people are showing up to interviews with, the desperate, and I get being desperate, I get not knowing where your mortgage payment's coming from. I have been there in my life. Like, I understand that fear. But if you can't reformat the narrative in your own head and learn how to be on the way to where the next cheese is, it's going to be painful. It's going to be more painful than it has to be. Again, as like another 99% feedback is if you're not confident you can do the job, there's no way I'm going to be confident you can do the job. And that's not feedback I can give after an interview. I didn't believe you believed. Right. A lot of times it's that. You got to believe you believe. And that's where I wish career and that's where I wish all the coaches and advisors of the world would. That's your lane. Focus on helping people understand what's amazing about them and how to talk about it. The more they get it about themselves, the more I'll get it about them. That's what career coaches should be doing. And that's all they should be focused on. Not trying to teach them about ATS bots or Anything else that they, it doesn't exist, those are eventually coming, but like we're not really dealing with them like people think we are. In fact, if we were, then everyone would be getting a response. It'd be much easier, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't be the person like, you know, not able to reach out to everybody and getting ghosted, but it's hard out here. So I just want people to understand what's real. And I want career coaches to focus on where they can add the most value. And that is, helping people understand their unique value prop, how to talk about it in summary, concisely and clearly. That's it. That's like the big secret. Well, on that, I think we will wrap up. I think that's a great point. I think we, we've all got to become product marketers, essentially, and, and learn how to market ourselves as the product. And that will, I think, stand the test of time, you know, just getting really good at that, which, which is uncomfortable and weird. Find your product market fit, folks. Find your product market fit. 
Who needs you? Glory, this was awesome. I hope you start to use golden nuggets in your content because I think uh, you dropped a ton of them today. So this was awesome. Thank you for reaching out to me on LinkedIn. And I'm so happy we got to have this conversation. And I love you're just like unvarnished truth telling. I think more people need that. And it's awesome. So thank you for doing that. Totally. That's my gig. That's what I do. It's what I love to do. And I really appreciate you having me on, Dave. Thank you so much. And I'd love to do it again. Awesome. How can folks find you on LinkedIn? I am Lori Golden on LinkedIn and L-O-R-I golden and uh yeah we'll link to it in the show notes l-o-r-i in case i was talking over you there amazing thanks Lori. we'll talk again soon thanks dave take care and take care all i hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as i enjoyed recording it we are here to help job seekers the point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal tlhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right. Thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.